bishop. Crazy. Crazy. Come and see what God is is awesome. Towards the love of God. Turn the dry land they passed live on. There we did rejoice by his name. Let not the rebellious exult in us. Bless our God, O God. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living has not let us For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the nest. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you. That which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God. And I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Isn't a wonderful psalm? Last week, Anne shared about worship um, as being the chief end of man. That was the catechism. What is man there for but to bring honor and glory to God? And um, it spoke about the truth that each of us are born to worship God. That's why God fashioned us and formed us to bring glory to him. And that's the fullness of the church is found in bringing glory to God. And he also spoke about the way that God prepares us for worship. That's Sometimes when, when we become Christians, we worship out of the wonderful way in which God meets our needs. But then he brings us through challenging things and he, he teaches us to worship him with faith, knowing that even behind the prison bars, as Andrew used that expression, we still are able to worship because he is faithful. So this Psalm 66, which I want us to have a look at this morning, and hopefully it will build on that theme that Anne began last week, is really a thanksgiving psalm. And uh, when you look at the first four verses, if you have a look there, um, it says, Shout for joy to God all the earth. And it says in verse 4, All the earth worships you and sings praise to you. It's almost like this psalm is a universal call to all nations, to all people everywhere to come and praise and worship God. Because I believe whether people acknowledge God um, or not, The truth of his worthiness is not um, refuted by people's unbelief. He is still worthy. Whether people believe in him or not, all nations are are due to give their worship and their praise to him. And the psalmist is declaring that God is glorious and he is good to all and every nation has cause to give him thanks. And I think also, when the psalmist was saying that, there was a little bit of a prophetic thing that he might not have been aware that he was doing, and that he was foretelling that the gospel would be proclaimed to every single nation. Doesn't it say that uh, it says, 
then the end will come. When every tribe and tongue and nation and people group have heard the gospel, then the end will come. And it's a sense of foretelling that. And we have that wonderful picture also in Revelation of every tribe, tongue and nation worshipping before the throne of God. So one day we will see the fullness of what the psalmist is uh, declaring over the earth there. And it even says, where it says that in that one verse, all the earth worships you. I believe that speaks of the non-human aspects of creation. Even that proclaims worship. The very existence of nature and the world that God has made is a declaration of his praise and glory. It's, it's just a sense of his wonder and his amazing power that's evidenced. I love that song. Um, and it's got... I might misquote, but one of the verses is when through the woods and forest glades I wander uh, and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze, um, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, how does the other part went from, from lofty mountain grandeur? Anyone help me with the words? <laughs> well, just that, I just think when that song was written, there was just such a sense of being in nature and having this overflow of worship when you, in the surroundings that God has made. You cannot but praise him. And even the very, I'm not talking about pantheism where God is inside the trees. I'm just talking about the trees giving praise to God because he is their creator. And the first part of that, this verse, the way it sh- starts in the English Standard Version, it says, shout for joy. And the New King James says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. And uh, yesterday, Ant and his dad were watching the rugby, and every now and then we'd have these outbursts of, and everyone would jolt in their chairs as they were shouting for joy at tries that were scored. And I think that something of that is our joyful exuberance in our worship. It's just this shout and this noise and this wonderful um, expression of, of the delight in our hearts that God has done things for us. So... I think the, the psalmist exhorts us to be hearty and zealous in our, in our worship, something that we do with all our might, something with all the strength within us that we express our, our worship because he is, he is worthy. And it says, let he, our worship be glorious, glory, give him glorious praise. And it says also in that first part that we are to sing the glory of his name and that's what we are to sing about when we come together, that which brings glory to him, that which honors him. And he carries on, he says, So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. And we know that at the end of time, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they may not come humbly, but they will certainly come with fear and trepidation and kneel before God. Um, because I, I think that this, this psalmist who wrote this, even though things might seem difficult out there, he knew that God is sovereign and his purposes over the nations are sovereign. And there's nothing that faces the nations of the earth that God is not all-powerful to deal with. And I believe that even as we bring our thanksgiving and our praise, it can be like a powerful intercession over the nations, from the war-torn country of Afghanistan to what's happening with the political unrest in South America to the slavery in North Africa 
and so the pandemic of swine flu and the, the worldwide recession that we're under, these are not things that overwhelm our living and powerful God. And as we declare our praises, we speak his majesty, and it is the, in that place we almost begin to intercede over the nations and speak his purposes. These are the enemies that will cower before the living God. And verse 7 says, God's eyes keep watch over the nations. And nothing escapes God's view. Nothing escapes his gaze. Um, and it says, let not the rebellious exalt themselves. And there's a warning here because there is a sense that God does keep account of unrighteousness and what people sow they will reap. And when evil seems to prosper, the psalmist says we can still give praise to God. He is just and he is merciful. He is faithful and he is true. Do not fear. Let our worship come from that place of knowing he is sovereign. He is in control. All the earth Give him praise. And if we can look, if you want to look back at your Psalm 66, if we look at verses 5 to 7, um, it seems that the focus of the psalm narrows down a bit from all the earth, and we have this recount of what happens to the nation of Israel. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land, and they passed through the river on foot. There we did rejoice in him who rules by his might forever. So this is a remembering of what God did when the Israelites, through the Exodus, left Egypt and went into the, the promised land. I almost imagine this. It's interesting that the psalmist says, come and see what God has done. And then he talks about what happened hundreds of years ago. So I'm kind of thinking how you see what happened hundreds of years ago. I almost imagine this huge, big photo album. And the psalmist says, come, come and have a look at my photos. Look, here's, uh, here's when Moses put his staff out and the waters began to roll back. And if you look at this picture over here, this is when we were actually walking through the Dead Sea. And can you see those fish on the rocks there? Yeah, that, was, that was an amazing experience. And it's almost like he's bringing back to memory and evoking this living memory of what God did in the past, his faithfulness to the past. Because even though the psalmist wasn't there himself, God's miraculous deeds in the past were still part of his expression of worship in the present. Isn't that interesting? His current expression of worship had something of the past in it. Because I believe that God's faithfulness in the past is what gives us faith for the present. How many of you can look back over the past and say, God, I saw you do that, I saw you do that, and surely you can do this today. There is nothing that is insurmountable for God because we've seen him faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and he will be in the future. Amen. It's almost like we, in our worship, the joys of those who have gone before us are our joys too. We can celebrate with the victories that others have had. They are our victories too. Um, and I want to say not only are these verses a reflection of God's faithfulness in the past, but it also shows how the psalmist sees himself as part of a community. And that was very much part of the Old Testament worldview. God's faithfulness to the children of Israel was also a sign of his faithfulness to the individual. 
And I think in this very individualistic society that we live in, where me is the all-important one, um, giving thanks for what God has done for us as a community or as a church is a way of seeing how God has in turn been kind to me. His faithfulness to all of us corporately is an expression of his kindness because when we all prosper, there is a prospering for each person that's part of that whole. We experience God's love by identifying and being part of his body. And I think it's good to think back of the amazing and miraculous things that God has done for people in this community and in this church and to to begin to remind each other and tell each other, remember when so-and-so was looking for a job and we prayed and look how God came through for them. Remember when we didn't have this building and we were meeting in a school hall and we came together and said, God is going to give us a place to meet and look what he has done. And in the Old Testament oral tradition, sometimes, as in the Psalms, they recounted the events of the past in the form of a song. And I was just thinking as I was preparing, why don't we write some songs that sing of what God has done with us as a church? Just a recounting and a testimony for what he's done corporately, and that becomes part of our worship. Okay, then we're going to look at verses 8 to 12. I'll kind of try to divide this into some sections if you want to go back to your Bibles. And uh, we see verse 8 says, Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us, you have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net, you laid a crushing burden on our backs, you let men ride over our heads. That verse, whenever I think of that, I've got this picture of Harley Davidson's in my mind, I don't know why, going over someone's head, terrible thought. And we went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out into a place of abundance. I don't know, that wasn't really arbitrary comments. I'm sorry, I had this image in my mind. Um, these verses sort of give us the context for which this, in which the psalm was written. So basically you can see that they had just come through some really difficult trials. And you'd think that up until now, if you'd read this psalm, that everything was really hunky-dory, that this psalmist was writing from a place of strength and everything was great. But the truth is that often our most fervent praise comes from seeing God's deliverance from all sorts of troubles. Isn't that true? You just have an overwhelming sense of gratitude when you've been in a tough place and you've seen God come through for you and there's this wonderful sense of rejoicing. So I want to say to you this morning, if you are facing trouble, if you're facing difficulty, be encouraged because you are about to see God's power at work in you. You are about to see a display of his glory and how he's going to come through for you. And uh, even if the way that he comes through for you is not how you expect, in that it just might be that he didn't take the pesky guy out of your workplace, but he changed your attitude towards him, that's God's power at work. God wants to work in whatever way he, he chooses. Sometimes through hard times, his power, says, is made perfect in our weakness, where we learn that my grace is sufficient for you. That might be the thing that he's wanting to do. Because it says, the psalmist says, God has kept our soul among the living and not let our foot slip. And I sometimes think back to my 
teenage years, and I think with a bit of horror in my mind, of times when I actually put myself in really precarious and dangerous situations, and God protected me, and I was so naive. I only look back now and I think, wow, God, you were watching out for me. And I think of many times for all of us in our lives, we probably don't even know the number of times that God was holding us safe in his arms when a car missed us, and we didn't even know that that could have been a near hit. And God has been watching over all of our lives. God protects us and he holds us. And it goes on to say, you have tested us and tried us as silver. And that's also a reference to Malachi 3, verse 3. There's a a cross-reference there. I'll just read it to you. And uh, the prophet says, But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the, to the Lord. Fire and water, refining and purifying. If you are saved, then I can tell you this is a guarantee that God will refine you and that he'll purify you. I don't think there's anyone who's been saved for very long who hasn't begun to experience that um, process of God in our lives. And these words says it's through many different kinds of trials and hardship that we enter the kingdom of God. I remember I would preach something a while ago, and Maria, I don't know if you remember, Maria came and told me this little story of um, a woman who was preparing, a, I think, preparing a Bible study uh, on this verse in Malachi. And so she really wanted to get to grips with what happened in a refinery where they were refining silver. So she went to visit uh, a silver refinery and she asked the guy if she could watch what he does. And so apparently he had this little shovel and he had this raw silver that was placed and it wasn't a very clear or pure color. It was sort of putery. And uh, he took the shovel and he put it um, into the... um, into the furnace, and he and he held it there. And she said, "Well, how long do you know? How long do you have to hold this um, little shovel of silver in the middle of the furnace, in the hottest part?" So he says, "No, I just keep watching it, and I just keep watching it. And when I begin to see my face reflected in the silver, then I know it's got all the other things are removed, and just my face is reflecting. Then I know it's ready." And I just think that's such a wonderful picture, isn't that, of how God says, I'm just keeping you in the heat, I'm watching you, I'm not taking my eye off you.